All right, so uh, Ace walked us through the manuscript study this morning. What do you guys think of manuscript study? Yeah, pretty sweet. Isn't that pretty awesome? Um, so, yeah, woo. Um, <laughs> that's okay, you can do that. Um, and then, so then, like, we, we finish up that, that passage and jumping in back into the same story um, to finish up the night. Uh, so we, you know, at the end of the last story, uh, Jesus, like, drops that bomb, right? So he's like, I, like, who am speaking to you? And he's like, oh, crazy. You know, like, Jesus made this huge statement. And so then, so that's like what just happened. And then all of a sudden comes verse 27, right after this bomb. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? So, like, have you ever been in a situation um, where you either walked up to a conversation or uh, you just walked up to a situation and you're just kind of like, what the heck is going on here? Like, this is making me a little uncomfortable. I don't know if I'm okay with this. Like, does that ever, ever happen to anybody? Okay, cool. Um, so I have a, story, a quick story to share about that. Uh, this is probably probably one of the better stories I have from my college years. Um, I've been trying to, like, hold on to them throughout the weekend, kind of like, you know, use them as strategic points so that I don't like give, you know, show all my cards at once. Um, <clears throat> so last year I lived with a guy named Robert, who is still my roommate in Durham. He He's also working in Durham after graduation. So that's, that's awesome. Um, and last year, so it's just me and him and we lived on campus all four years. So uh, we we're still living in a dorm. It was probably the smallest living space uh, two human beings had lived in together. Um, it was a 12 by 12 foot box. Um, and one weekend, um, yeah, just like imagine that in your head for a sec. Yeah, it's really small. And so, uh, so we're living in this room and, uh, one weekend he invites his friend from NC State over and he's gonna, he's gonna sleep on our floor. Uh, his name is Zach. So he invites Zach over. They're hanging out. Uh, it's a Saturday night. So we're like watching a movie or whatever. It gets down time, you know, to go to bed. It's pretty late. And, uh, Zach puts his sleeping bag out on the floor. Um, and, and they talk about how, like, they're going to wake up early for church next morning. Um, I think either I had gone to, like, the Saturday night service. It's like I wasn't going to church at all. Or I was going to, like, a super late service because I was like, uh-uh. Like, I'm not, like, waking up with you guys. Like, don't wake me up, you know, when you guys get moving. Because my roommate is, like, a super early morning type person. So I knew his alarm was set for, like, 630 or something. I know. Who does that? Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm kind of letting them know, like, can you, you know, just try to be quiet as you eat. So the morning comes, like, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be up, but, like, the morning comes, and, and I kind of wake up, and um, I see a figure, uh, like, next to my bed. So, like, I'm on the bottom bunk, my roommate's on the top bunk, and then Zach's on the floor. So I'm on the bottom bunk, and I look over, um, and I see Robert, like, shaking Zach on the floor, like, come on, man, Zach, you gotta get up, you gotta get up, come on, you gotta get up. And I was like, God, he just, like get up and go to church so I can keep sleeping. And he just keeps shaking, keeps shaking. Hey, 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 get up. And then um, finally, like, I fall back asleep. Um, and, like, not five minutes later, I wake up again, and the door's cracked open. And the way my bed is kind of, like, positioned, my face is kind of, like, right in the, the crack of the door. So, like, if you open the door, like, the, the light just kind of hits me right in the face. Um, and so the door's just, like, sitting open. And I hear Robert and Zach, like, uh, well, actually, I only hear Robert's voice. So I hear Robert's voice out in the hall. I'm like, what are they talking about? Would they just like go to church, close the door, and let me sleep? Um, and so I like fall back asleep, and then finally, like, five minutes later, the light is still shining my face. There's still voice on the hall, and I look up, and it's 
uh, Zach in the doorway, just like staring at me. I'm like, yes, Zach, can I help you? And he, he goes, pointing. I'm like, what are you, what are you pointing at? He goes, look on the floor. And I look down the floor, and there's somebody sleeping on the floor. I'm like, yeah, Zach, you're sleeping on the floor. Wait a second. <laughs> Hold on. And then, so I look back in the hall, and there's Robert, and there's Zach, and there's someone on the floor. And I look back at Zach, and he goes, and he's naked. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, what? So supposedly, like, as I'm, as I'm asleep thinking that Robert's having trouble waking up Zach or church, really what happened was um, the best-dressed naked man I've ever seen, because he had, he had a, a nice suit coat on and nothing else. Walk, walks into our room, like, collapses on the floor, falls asleep next to Zach. Zach wakes up, like, reaches up to Robert's bunk, wakes Robert up. Robert comes down, and, and this is, like, the drunk dude that Robert was trying to wake up but couldn't wake up. And so then, like, it's 3.30 in the morning. I'm like, well, what are you guys doing about it? And Zach's like, oh, I think, I think Robert just saw the RA in the bathroom. So our RA comes down, like, finally wakes the guy up. I mean, he's just, like, drunk, 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 really drunk. Um... And it's like finally gets him up and like gets him out of our room, and we're just like sitting there, like about to go back to sleep. Like, what just happened? Like, where did this guy come from? Later, we find out it's actually a guy that like lives down the hall from us that had I think gone to the bathroom and then not made it back to his room. Um, needless to say, we started locking our door after that uh, at night. Um, so anyway, so as you can imagine, I was quite shocked. When I realized that, like, you know, I looked down, I was like, what is this guy doing in that room? Think the same thing for the disciples, right? Like, as they're, as they're coming back, as they're coming back with Jesus talking to this woman, they're just like, what the heck are you doing with this woman? Like, she's not, not, not just a woman, and not are you just, like, alone, a man and a woman, like, totally unacceptable in this time. But, like, he's talking to a Samaritan woman, like, of people that, like, worship a different God. Um, you know, are viewed as, you know, less than fully human, really, if you think about it. Um, you know, there are enemies, like, what, like, okay, Jesus, like, it's cool, you can hang out with the outcasts and the poor people and the sick and lame, but, like, a Samaritan? Really? Like, that, like that's who you're going to hang out with. Um, but, like, you notice, <laughs> you notice, like, it, why, you know, why does it say, but no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? So, like, obviously the question is on their mind, right? Like, they're they're thinking these questions, but no one's going to ask it because I don't know if it's because, you know, they've gotten corrected by Jesus one too many times. You know, like they've realized by now, like, you know, Peter's kind of talked up enough and he's kind of like, I'm going to let you kind of just explain this one later to us. Um, or whether, you know, uh, they're trying to like kind of pretend like they get it. Like, oh, yeah, Jesus, like totally, you'd totally be talking to a Samaritan woman. No, not really. Um, you know, and maybe, you know, because like the, the the disciples at this point are probably still thinking to themselves, this is the Jewish Messiah, you know, like, and they, they may not even understand that that's who he is yet, but, like, they definitely get an idea that, like, he is from the Jews and probably for the Jews, you know, like, this is probably going to be kind of a Jewish uprising thing that, that Jesus brings. So, like, why are we, like, wasting time over here? So, like, that's kind of what's going on in the disciples' minds. Uh, next kind of verse is 28 through 30. Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Okay, so like right off the bat, leaving her water jar, like that again, 
huge deal, right? Like water jar. You know, she's asking Jesus before, how are you going to get water? You don't have anything, you know, to go down and get water. And yet, like, after this whole conversation they've had about how important water is and living water, like, she leaves the water jar at the well and, like, goes back. So obviously, like, something's going on that it kind of causes her to just, like, either forget about it or just say, like, I don't even care right now. Like, this is going to take longer to run back with this water jar. I'm just going to leave it here at the well. And then kind of imagine, like, what's going through the heads of the people in this town as this woman comes running running back, saying, come see a man who, you know, told me everything for this good Messiah. Now, we're going to, I'm going to go ahead and lay, lay something out there. I've been around Duke Ivy long enough that I know that, like, information goes really quickly, right? Like, like once something happens, like, something significant, like, everybody knows about it within, like, two or three days. Tell me, tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. No, I'm not wrong. You know I'm right. Um, and, like, I, I mean, this town is probably the same way, right? Like, we're in a time, you know, it's not like newspapers, internet, whatever. Like, it's word of mouth, right? Like, everything gets around word of mouth. And I'm sure everybody in this town knows, like, what the, what's up with this woman, right? Like, everyone knows that she sleeps around, that she's been with five men, a six now that's not her husband. So, like, like what is their kind of response to her you know like what, what i mean this is completely unacceptable so i guess like the question to kind of be considering um with with their response is like what why why did jesus choose this woman like why did he choose to work through this woman who's going to go back and, and the townspeople like their first thought was going to be like why should we listen to you you've never proven yourself there's like there's no reason like you like have any more sort of sort of moral authority over us or any sort of like wisdom that we would like trust. So definitely definitely be thinking about that as we kind of move on uh, in the story. So then we kind of go back to the disciples right in thirty one to thirty three. Says meanwhile his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought I mean, we give, like, the disciples such a hard time, right? But, like, I mean, you can't really blame them. I mean, if somebody says to you, like, I've already eaten, you're going to think, oh, I'll do something else. Um, but I think, like, the that little interlude where the woman, like, runs back, if we kind of get rid of that for a second, and so the disciples get back, and they don't ask, what do you want, or why are you talking to me? Instead, they say, eat something, right? It's kind of like an easy way to avoid the situation. Like, we're not going to ask you about that woman. Well, we do have bread in our hands, and, like, we can eat some because we know that's why we went and got it, because you're hungry. Um, it actually makes me think of, has anyone ever seen uh, Best of Will Ferrell SNL? Does it, has anyone seen any SNL by Will Ferrell? Okay. Little Cowbell, that's a good one. Okay, David, sweet. Um, so, like, there's this one scene that I love in uh, Will Ferrell SNL where there's, like, this family eating dinner together. <laughs> I don't even know if I can get through the story. So there's, like, family eating dinner together. And they're just, like, eating very quietly, like, hun, can you pass the tea? Yeah, then pass the tea. Keep eating, keep eating. Oh, can you, can you pass me now? And then all of a sudden, like, Will Ferrell's the dad, and he just, like, starts talking about, like, something about his job, like, I got a promotion at work today. And, like, the daughter's like, no one cares about your work. And, like, all of a sudden, like, everyone just, like, erupts. Everyone's, like, yelling at each other, the mom, the daughter, the father, just, like, and, like, Will Ferrell always, like, ends whatever, like, yelling match they get into with something just, like, ridiculous. Like, one, one time, um, he's like, you know, he's like, I'm important. I'm important. And then he ends the argument with, I drive a Dodge Stratus. 
and everyone just like shuts up and they're like and then they and then they go back to eating and it's like can you pass me a roll so like that's kind of like what i thought of when i went back over this passage like they're just like they're just like completely ignoring right like there's this like mess at the dinner table no one gets along with anyone so what's like the obvious thing to do just you want some food like you want some okay i'm gonna keep eating so like that's kind of what i thought of like with his disciples kind of like what are you doing this for never mind you want some bread so um but jesus is not going to let them off the hook that easy right so like they ask him if he's eaten any bread and he uh, brings it right back to the conversation he was having with the woman, even though like they don't really get it, right? They don't really get that's what he's talking about. Um, and so now, like the disciples are probably at the like climax of their frustration, confusion, because now not only did he talk to the Samaritan woman, but he also ate Samaritan food, which is like, oh Jesus, <laughs> you have to go that far too. So after that, Jesus is like, okay, I'm gonna explain it. Starting in verse 34, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now those who reap draw their wages. Even now they harvest the crop for eternal life, so that the, sh- the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. So it's, like, still a bit cryptic, right? Like, I'm sure the disciples weren't just, like, all of a sudden, oh, okay, this all makes sense now. And it's even, like, a little cryptic to us, right? It's not it's not really laid out in such a way that you can easily identify, oh, this is what he's talking about. But we definitely get an idea that something about, like, what God is doing, Jesus is, like, a part of, and he's inviting the disciples to be a part of it with him. You know, Jesus is talking about the time is ripe, and he's foreshadowing that he is really just about to turn everything up on its head and change everything. God has prepared this whole stage for Jesus to come. Jesus is about to do some crazy work to set everything else up, and then the Holy Spirit is going to come and kind of set us up for the future. So now to kind of finish the passage, 39 to 42. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the wind's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. So people start to believe because of the woman's testimony. And again, like kind of getting back to the idea, why are people believing her? She... You know, there's no kind of moral authority. This is not someone that you would typically kind of listen to. Um, and so then Jesus stays two more days in this town to show that, you know, he's not just like passing through, right? So it's not just like he had to go through Samaria to get to Galilee, but he kind of, he did this on purpose, right? Like, tricky Jesus, he did this on purpose. Um, and like Jesus wanted to reveal more of himself, even to these spiritists. Um, and then I think it's kind of cool that at the very end, so like, you know, the Samaritans are kind of hooked in by this woman's testimony that, um, you know, this that she thinks she's found this Messiah. And, but then it kind of ends with more Samaritans believe, not based on what they heard from the woman, but on what Jesus had to say about who he was and who they were. So this weekend has been all about telling stories, right? And um, I feel like we probably mostly have shared in our small groups, like uh, I know Katie shared a story and, uh, 
Uh, have we had any other upfront stories? So, like, hopefully tonight we'll, with the open mic, we're gonna have we're gonna hear some more stories. And one of the biggest questions we kind of have to ask ourselves as we think about our own stories and um, what what that means, whether we're uh, Christians or not Christians, the question that is kind of facing us this weekend is: What does Jesus have to say about our stories and the place and and His place in those stories? Because we're gonna like, I'm sure tonight with the open mic. Um, we're probably going to hear some pretty tough stories, right? I mean, like, um, like stuff happens. Life is, is not easy. Like, we go through pretty tough stuff that, that makes us kind of ask the question, why? Um, so what does Jesus say that we're to do with all this? And I think that kind of like the, the, the big picture um, from the story that we gather and, and from the really the whole Bible is that Jesus really, like, is just daring us to believe that in the midst of our stories, he loves us. That really is the key to add to unlocking the question of like what is going on with my story, like why are things happening this way is the question of are we really going to believe that Jesus loves us in the midst of our stories? Think about, for example, um, the story just like of Adam and Eve in the garden, right? So like I think a lot of people talk about uh, what was the first sin, you know, what what did they do that, that was kind of like the first thing to, to rebel against God. And I was reading an interesting uh, take on this um, where someone kind of pointed out, you know, the, the serpent comes up to Eve and is like, you know, did God really say you can eat from any tree? And Eve's like, no, he just said I can eat from this tree. And this, the question that the serpent asks her is, uh, or, or the statement the serpent makes to her is, um, well, the reason, you know, God doesn't want you from this tree is because he knows that you're going to become as wise as he is, right? And so, like, I think really the question facing Eve in that moment and facing us is, like, wait, if God doesn't want me to eat from this tree for that reason, can I really, like, trust that he loves me? Right? Like, it, like is, is it that he doesn't want me to eat from this tree because it's good that I don't eat from this tree? Or is he, like, trying to withhold something from me? And that was, like, the decision when Eve said, like, yeah, like, I think, I think God's, like, trying to withhold something from me. Like, I'm not sure if I... I'm not sure if I really believe anymore that, that God's love is infinite. And I think that's kind of the question that we face every day. I mean, with our with our stories, is like, you know, I don't I don't have a, a boyfriend or girlfriend. Does that? What does that mean about God's love for me? You know, I didn't get accepted that job or that um, program that I, I really wanted to get in. What like, can I still trust that like, God loves me in the midst of that? Or like a family member just passed away. Like, what does that mean? To God and God's love for me, because like the reality is, what like, we're never going to be able to face those deep uh, places of pain, guilt, and shame until we can answer that question. God doesn't say like I'm gonna um, show you that I love you by making your story nice and neat and easy. He like dare, he really does dare us to believe that like I'm coming into your story to show you that I love you, and like that's like that is what I'm calling you to trust. Right. Um, I'm gonna tell you a quick story. Um, I'm afraid I'm gonna run like way over, but I think we started kind of late, right? Okay, I'll try to not go too long. Um, but so uh, share share another quick story with you. Um, so Jamaica, uh, I told my small group there's like this little village in Jamaica called Harmons, Jamaica, that I just uh, dearly love. Uh, I've been there uh, four times now. Um, spent uh, 12 weeks of one summer there, uh, and been back since. And it's just like a place that, you know, started as like a mission trip. And then I got to know some of the people in the village and 
start like stay in touch with them and you know whenever I could like wanted to go back and visit and one of the uh like just most powerful and toughest parts about being down in Harmons is that uh they have these places called uh infirmaries um which are basically like uh think nursing homes except um like 20 times worse uh worse conditions so really like it's not just nursing homes in that like you people send their, you know, older relatives there, but if you have any sort of physical, mental handicap and you don't have people uh, that can take care of you uh, in their home, then they can kind of drop them off there and just and leave them there. Um, and so, like, there are people in this in this infirmary uh, that have been dropped off as early as, like, age 30, and, like, once you're in the infirmary, like, that you're in, unless, like, somebody kind of comes and, like, picks you up and, and decides to take care of you. Um, and this is like for a long time was one of the places that was the hardest for me to go while I was down there. Um, it like it doesn't smell good. Like they don't treat the people very well. Um, they they just like don't they don't take care of them very well. Most of them, um, you know, have like physical or mental handicaps. So uh, you know, there's like a lot of you know people are kind of like drooling and you know people kind of like um, just like deformed physically. Um, and so it's just like the first time people go to infirmary, they're just like shocked. You know, it's just like one of those things that does, it doesn't matter who you are, what you've seen, you just kind of come back and you're like, I did not know places like these existed. And the crazy thing is like this became over time one of my favorite places to go. Um, not because like I was just like, you know, had this huge heart and like, you know, it wasn't uh, hard for me anymore. But like I, like I found a faith in that infirmary that I have never seen anywhere else um, in talking to some of the people there. Um, there's this one guy, um, so I have, I have a couple friends there, uh, some of my, some of my favorite people are Raphael, Geraldine, Myrtle, and this guy, Peter. And Peter, um, so like, uh, I, I'm not like a very emotional person, so sometimes, uh, some of my friends will joke around with me and say like, I don't have a heart, which that's not true, I do have a heart. Um, but I just not, not a very emotional person, so it takes a lot for me to like cry, um, and, the one time that I really kind of like teared up in the infirmary was when I sat down with Peter one day, and one of the things that uh, that the people in the infirmary uh, really enjoy for for people coming to do is actually read scripture to them. Um, in Jamaica, it's like a very biblically literate country, so um, a lot of people like just memorize huge chunks of the Bible, um, and uh, the Psalms are really like everyone's favorite for some reason. I don't know how the Psalms became just like the thing down there, but they really are. And so a lot of times when you sit down with someone and you kind of, you know, talk to them, you know, some people can't necessarily like really have a conversation with you, but you can just kind of like sit with them and, you know, touch them and kind of talk to them um, and ask, and you can ask like, do you want me to read to you? And they, you, they always know that means like the Bible. You want me to read the Bible. And so uh, Peter like has a really tough time talking. It's like really hard for him to get like words out. Um, and so sometimes you kind of have to ask him like repeat himself. But the first time uh, I ever sat down with him, he said Psalm 22. Um, and I was like, okay, cool. Oh, yeah, I'll read Psalm 22. And let me, um, I think I'm only going to read part of it because it's kind of long. But so it starts with, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night and are not silent. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. And you, our fathers, put their trust. They trusted, and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved, and you they trusted and were not disappointed. And then it, it kind of keeps on going on just about, like, 
how tough of, you know it's it's a psalm um by David just like how tough of like place he is in right now like how much he's just like broken and like God is just like not there um but like you saw it kind of like it, it goes there and then it also says you know yet you are enthroned as the holy one of Israel um and then like after all this kind of like tough stuff at, at the very end you know it talks about how the poor will eat and be satisfied they who seek the Lord will praise him all the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. And that, I mean, just like reading that passage to Peter, and like every time I go back, he always wants me to read that psalm. And I'm always like, there's always a piece of me that's like, really? Like, you really want me to read this psalm? Like, is that, like, can you, like, uh, like I'm, I don't even feel comfortable reading the psalm to you. And like, but that's like what you want to hear. Um, and I think like Peter's kind of found something. Because... He's in just like the worst and worst of situations. Like there's just, I just can't imagine being in a tougher situation like where you're just like sitting here in this place like all day, every day. And that's like, oh, where are you going to be the rest of your life? But like just the heart that he has and knowing that like God is the only one who satisfies is just something that I've just never found anywhere else. And that's like, so so kind of wrapping together the stories um, from this passage it's like the, the story of the gospel is that God himself enters into our stories so that we can become a part of his story. When we believe the lie that God didn't love us, that's when sin entered the world and messed everything up. And we started looking in all these other places for satisfaction and looking for meaning and love. And God knew that it was going to take everything that he had to bring us back and make that right again. Because we uh, had become enslaved to things that were never going to satisfy um, and we could never like fully like remove those things from our heart and, and turn to him and so jesus came and experienced life as we do he experienced pain and loss and trial and temptation i think that like it's definitely like the human side of jesus that i think a lot of times we ignore is like that, that he really did like experience what you and i experienced and, like he's not a stranger to that pain he's not a stranger to those tough things and that like god himself the father like knows what it feels like to lose a son um like i think that's just like one of the most powerful images that um you know like i think people talk about like losing a son or daughter is one of like the toughest things you know if you talk to people about like you know the toughest things they face like losing a child is just one of the toughest and to think that like we have a god who's knows that right like not not just like knows about it, like, knows that we go through it, but, like, has experienced it for himself. And in life, you know, Jesus healed people of sickness. He raised people from the dead, and he cared for the poor and needy. Jesus was showing us that, like, there's something wrong with this world. There's something broken, messed up about where we're looking for satisfaction and how, as we turned away from God in that, like, it just it just screwed everything up. But Jesus was showing us that, like, he wasn't going to just leave us there. Right? Like he's not just going to leave us in these places of brokenness and hurt. Because Jesus, the one holy God himself, died on the cross, the penalty for our sins. And rising from the grave, he showed us that death no longer has control over us. Amen? That like all these things that we look to for our satisfaction, all they ever are going to lead us to is God. No matter like how much we strive for all these different things, like like they're just going to leave us empty. But Jesus showed us, like, in raising from the dead, that, like, those things don't have control on us anymore. 
And he started this like new chapter in the story that we call this, this, this world. And Jesus calls us to be a part of that story. And not only does he call us to be in that story, but he calls us to invite others into that story. Think for a minute about the woman and kind of like her response to what Jesus did for her and what, what Jesus kind of spoke to her. She ran back to that village and like all she could say was just like, come and see. Like she didn't, like she didn't have any moral authority. She didn't have any pious acts to point to. She didn't like have her spiritual life in order or like, you know, I mean, at this point, the husband still had the husband still probably hasn't even found out that she's not like, maybe, maybe she is going back to him. Like we don't know. Right. Um, so it's not like she's like fixed herself up and like she's this pious person now, but there's something just like crazy attractive about the way that like she finds like how Christ fills the spot that she has never been filled. And like people just realize like there's something to this. Right? Like there's something going on here that, that they're interested in. So what kind of like, um, so, so it's not that like, you know, this woman, it's not like Jesus transplanted her from her story and all of a sudden like wrote her like this new story that like she could just kind of like live in and, and enjoy like this easy story. But instead, he invited her to become a part of the greater story of what he was doing and how he was going to redeem everything from the story. So I guess the, the question that, that we have to be thinking about as we share stories with each other, um, as we kind of like think through our own stories and think through uh, our lives, is like if we've experienced this from Jesus, the question is like, what then is our response? What then is our response if we if we really truly know that like all these other places that we've sought satisfaction have left us dry and only Jesus is ever satisfied? Then what are we called to do? And in Philippians two. So I think Philippians 2 is a beautiful passage. It's actually kind of a like supposed to be a hymnal of the church that was around before um, this, these scriptures were written. So like a, a very early hymn. And people, I think, generally just like start with the hymn itself and not the kind of prescript. And Because some of you may be familiar with it. It starts with, your attitude should be the same as that as that of Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God to be grass. So, but before that, it starts in verse 1. It says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. If any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then it starts with, your attitude should be the same as that as Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God did not consider equality, God with, equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. So it doesn't just say like, all right, like go, like go do things, like go make me proud and, and go, you know, 
fix this world. It starts with the, the question of if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, fellowship with his spirit, tenderness and compassion. Because that's what we see with this, this story of the woman at the well. We see that like in our stories, like Jesus doesn't just come and like point out things and say, all right, like there's brokenness, got to fix it. You know, here's something that, that I need you to kind of like just get over. But like he enters into our stories. He enters as a man into the pain and suffering that we experience. And in that entering into our stories, he makes our story a part of his greater story. So if you have experienced uh, this grace of Christ, again, the question is, so now what? Now what are we going to do? What, like, what, does that, what kind of impact does that have on the future of our stories? And I, I would ch- kind of challenge you all tonight as we, as we came away from this weekend thinking kind of like, all right, what, what do we want to be a takeaway this weekend? We kind of decided that, all right, like, we want to definitely like focus on the gospel and how Jesus meets us in our stories and share our stories with each other and encourage each other and cry with each other and pray for each other. But we also want to encourage each other that in this comfort that we've experienced, that we would be just sent out the way this woman is to her town and saying, come and see. Not that I have it all together, not that my story has been easygoing, not that um, there's not so brokenness there that I don't understand, but come and see that there, that I I know a God who loves me in the midst of all that, and that no matter like what happens in my story, I know that there's a God who will be enough. So where so where so kind of the question, um, a, a few questions to leave you kind of with tonight. Um, number one, like so, if you don't know kind of Jesus as as that fully satisfa- full satisfaction for you. Um, I definitely think challenge you to kind of think about like what's what's holding you back. The, the question is like, is there something else that you can find that is going to satisfy? And if not, like, what what are you you know what are you kind of waiting for? I definitely want to you know um, encourage everyone to continue like talking with each other. Um, like I think a great question to like be talking whether you're a Christian or not Christian is like, what are your wells? Right, like so this woman kind of like. Is seeking satisfaction in these relationships. Like, what are what are your wells? What are the places where you look outside of Christ to find satisfaction? You know, they can be in relationships. They can be in this community. They can be in academics, career. They can be in being a good IV staff worker. True, that's true. Um, so, like, definitely, like, be talking about, like, where those wells. And then kind of the second question is like if we experience these stories and we know that we have these places of longing and need are we going to believe that everyone on our campus in duke and in durham has those same needs that we do that like everyone else is like looking for something that is just going to quench this thirst that says like am i really loved so if you are a christian tonight i, I want to challenge you to think like where is your Samaritan? Where is God calling you to enter into other people's stories? Where is he calling you to share your story and let your story be intertwined with other people's stories on this campus? Because we, what we see with Jesus is he, he didn't just like throw down a magic, you know, thunderbolt and all of a sudden like our stories were just like somehow fixed. But like 
he decided that the best way was to enter into our stories himself. And that is what he calls us to do. Our community has a role in God's story on this campus. And honestly, like, it's really not optional. As Jesus says in this passage, that doing the will of the Father is our bread, right? It's so, like, you need food to survive. So what is he saying about like doing the will of God and like, reaching out to others on our campus? I really believe that what he's saying is like as individuals, we will starve if we're not involved with his mission on campus. That we, like as a community, will starve if like our community is not focused on reaching out to people on campus. So again, I, I, I ask you, like, where is your scenario? Where is God calling you to step out of your comfort zone and enter into other people's stories? Are you willing to trust that going out into Duke and Durham will be the bread that will continue to feed you personally and feed this community? It's not going to be easy or comfortable, but I promise you that it's worth it. And I really believe that like the love that we have for each other in this community will be a reflection of how much we love those outside. So kind of like, let me let me kind of distill some thoughts that might be going through your head and, and kind of clarify before I finish. So um, you may be kind of in a spot where you're like, well, like I am involved in all these places and I like have all these friends and like I want um, I want them to know Christ's love so bad, but like it's, it's, it's hard, right? Like our timing is not always God's timing and like we don't always get to see people experience that love in the way that we want them to see. I can definitely relate to that. I can definitely relate to that kind of frustration and um, kind of heartache of that. And so if like this is something that you hear it and you're like kind of feeling guilty and you're like, oh man, like, yeah, like I just need to kind of put my head back to the plow. I need to like try harder and, and like, you know, really invest in those relationships and just show people that I really care about their stories. Actually, my challenge for you tonight, if that's, if that's your response, is that like maybe it's time for you to kind of be the woman at the well and, and come to Jesus and say like, Remind me that, like, you are the one that satisfies me and not the mission, right? Like, so the mission is bread to us, but, like, without the living water, that that is not, right? Like, without the living water, without us abiding in that love that Jesus has for us, like, we can never experience that love because we are on mission for God. For those of you who are kind of, like, sitting there thinking to yourself, though, like, all right, Yes, I, I hear that. Like, I just need to kind of stay with Jesus at the well. Like, that's kind of the place for me right now. I'd actually challenge you to think about maybe he's not calling you to, to kind of sit around. And, you know, maybe he is calling you to kind of step out and, and try something new, to, to think and pray about, like, who is in my life that God may have intentionally put there and wants, like, and has maybe even, like, used my story, what, what I've experienced, to, like, intersect with their story. And, like, I may be one of the people that, like, they experience God's love through. So, yeah, I, I really just challenge you as we kind of close out tonight and as we go tomorrow morning and spend some time praying and talking with each other uh, to really ask that question to yourself. Like, where is your Samaria? Who is it in your life or just on campus that, that you have a heart for um, that you can engage in and get to know people and get to know their stories? And, you know, like, the woman's attitude was not, like, let me run and, like, just tell you, you know, my story because, like, I want you to know this. And, you know, like, it, it wasn't, like, an agenda thing, right? It wasn't like she was just trying to kind of check off a list of, like, yeah, I'm supposed to kind of do this. It was just her, like, realizing 
I have a story to share too. And I want like other people to get to experience what I've experienced. So, um, so yeah, let's, uh, let me, let me pray in close. Father, we thank you that, um, God, you redeem even the most broken and painful part of our stories, God. God, you're the giver of all good things, and you have gifted us with so many great uh, experiences and, um, God, relationships, talents, God, abilities. And so we thank you for all those things that are part of our story. And, God, we thank you that even if we may never understand why it is that we go through some of the things that we do, God, that we can know that you invite us to come sit with you and drink from the living water. God, that um, that you promise us that there's a day when all things are going to be made new. God, that there will be no more death or sickness or tears. And God, we long and we wait for that day when all that is uh, evil, all that is hurt and brokenness will no longer be true. But God, in the here and now, as we are still a part of this current chapter of the story, we just pray that we would continue to abide in your living water. And God, we pray that you would move in our community, that we would care deeply about those around us and do God, that we would um, have attentive hear- ears to hear the stories of those around us. God, that we would have the compassion that you had for this woman at the well. And God, that we would be willing to step out in faith, out of our comfort zone, and offer you the future of our stories that you might include others in this greater story that you love. So God, would you move? Would you um, give us inspiration? Would you um, give us an idea of what the heck that looks like for us personally and what what that looks like as a community to begin um, just really caring just about uh, you. God, we praise you today. Jesus' name, amen.